Hello everybody and welcome back to Witchfix. Today we are revisiting something, sort of, that I reviewed way back at the beginning of the podcast and that is Witches of East End. Uh, you might remember if you listened to the first couple of episodes when things were still a little bit rocky on the old sound front and debatably still are, but we'll, we'll push through. Um, I reviewed the TV series, which had two seasons before it was cancelled, called Witches of East End, and uh, that was based on a book series, which you might remember me mentioning in that review. So... I had already read the first book in that series, but have recently procured the other books in that series. So I went back to read the first one to refresh my memory because I'd forgotten basically everything that happens in it. And uh, this is going to be my review of Witches of East End or Witches of the East, which I think is what it was originally published as before the TV series by Melissa Delacruz. Now, I think it's been a while since I actually watched the TV series, but uh, this really refreshed my mind on what's different. So if you're a fan of the TV series and you are thinking about reading the books because you're sad that it got cancelled, um, I will just do a quick rundown of some of the things that are different. And please be aware that this review will probably have spoilers in it for both the TV series and the book. So the biggest difference, I think, in, in terms of the book versus the TV series is that Aunt Wendy, my favourite character, is only in the TV series and was invented for the series only so she is completely missing from the books and doesn't exist which is a real shame because obviously she's my favorite character and i feel she really balanced out the group quite well um but uh yeah she's she's not there also in the first episode of the tv series the girls uh freya and ingrid joanna's daughters find out that they have magical powers and are witches whereas in the books they've known the entire time and have never not known that they were witches. Another massive difference is that when in the TV series they do find out they are witches, they start using magic all the time uh, with, with no real issue as to whether or not they're allowed to. Whereas in the books, it's pretty clear at the beginning that there is a restriction and it is referred to as the restriction, which means that as long as they are living in the human world or mid world, they aren't allowed to use magic. And if they're caught, they will be um, punished by the White Council who are, sort of oversee them. And Throughout the book, they refer to like the human world as mid-world and they refer to several other things, which are slightly confusing, like that they had different names and that they've been alive for a really long time and used to live somewhere else. And they talk about a bridge breaking. And obviously I already knew what this was referring to because in the second series of the TV show, you find out that the witches are essentially gods and goddesses from Asgard who have come to the human world. And in the human world, they are witches. I guess sort of in the same way that Superman isn't really super on his homeworld, but is on Earth um, and that they can't go home. In the TV show, this is explained as there was a rebellion against their grandfather, the king. Um, but in this book, it is very clearly laid out that the Bifrost Bridge, for those of you who have seen the Thor movies, uh, was broken and that uh, they can't now return home and are, are stuck on Midworld. It was quite frustrating and annoying how oblique the references to this are and how little of this is explained. Uh, I've currently started the second book, Serpent's Kiss, and right at the beginning it gives you like a catch-up of their entire potted history of how they ended up on Midworld. And right at the end of Witches of East End, the book that I'm just the book that I've currently just finished. It does sort of go into the history a lot, but it feels like it's being info dumped on you after a whole book where they've just been making these references to another world or the fact that they have other names or the fact that they are known as like the goddess of love or something. And you just kind of have to like pick your way through all this stuff. And it is kind of frustrating, even if you do know 
what is going to be revealed and I can't imagine how frustrating it would be if you didn't know. But now I'm going to jump right in and go through the, the plot with you guys and, and just generally the happenings in the books and what I thought of it. Because at the beginning it is very similar to the TV series, like basically scene for scene. But the further you read into the book, the more they differ wildly and it starts to feel like maybe the person who like adapted it for TV just was like, well, I'll take the first three chapters, but then I'm just going to make stuff up. By that, I mean, it does start out with Freya's engagement party to Bran Gardner, because it always annoyed me in the TV show that it's like Dash Gardner and then also his brother Killian. And it's like, why would you name one of your kids after one of the Incredibles slash like the jock guy in high school and then name the other Killian? which is a badass name, but in this he is definitely Bran, and I don't know why they changed that, that just seems kind of pointless, but she's having her engagement party and then is irresistibly drawn to his uh, estranged badass brother Killian, and, and then they have sex at the engagement party, because Freya's a classy bird. But then we get into the rest of the story, which is basically uh, both the sisters and their mother Joanna begin to use magic again in small ways um so ingrid decides to try and help her co-worker conceive a baby because she's been really trying and has run out of money for ivf freya decides to start making like love potion cocktails at the bar where she works and joanna starts to use her magic of uh creation and restoration to basically impress the the young son of her new housekeeper and gardener there's these two people um i think they're like live in help so she's got a housekeeper and the husband of that woman is the gardener and then their son just kind of hangs around with joanna a lot and she uses her powers to like make his toys dance around and this is explained as being that she has a son who she can't see anymore because he's like not on midworld with them and more on that later so they start using their magic powers and quickly realize that the judgment of the White Council is not forthcoming. It seems like no one's paying attention to anything that they're doing. So obviously they start doing more and more magic and then all their magic starts to go wrong. Uh, so, and this is quite spoiler heavy, um, Ingrid, she has done magic for different people, um, mostly, mostly using knots. And here I'm going to trigger warn for mentions of suicide. She does a spell knot for a lady who's worried that her husband is cheating on her. And the knot is meant to keep him at home so that they can repair their marriage. But he starts to like lose weight and look stressed and unhappy and clearly something's going wrong. And then later he's discovered to have gone to a motel and hanged himself with a noose tied in the knot that Ingrid gave to his wife. So she then gets implicated uh, as being responsible for his death somehow. A trigger warning here for sexual assault because what Frey has been doing is making these cocktails for people and one of them makes people irresistible and is also meant to be a heavy duty protection potion so you can go out and have a wild night and nothing bad will happen to you but then one of the girls that she's made one for goes missing and a bunch of teenage boys are arrested in connection with her death uh, and sexual assault so like obviously something has gone wrong there and also all around town people are getting sick mysteriously um Tyler, the little boy that Joanna is kind of fixated on, he starts getting sick all the time. There's a load of people who can't conceive children. Uh, livestock is being found dead. And uh, then this weird sort of dark toxicity is detected in the sea around them. And uh, it's very clear that there is something bad going on. And this leads me into what I found kind of frustrating about the book. 
is that none of the three main characters, Ingrid, Freya or Joanna, seem to really spend any time together or communicate because I feel like if they had, they would have put together all this stuff a lot quicker. Nine times out of ten when we see Ingrid, she is at the library um, talking to her friends at the library and doing her magical clinic at the library. Freya is usually either at the bar or having sex with people that she shouldn't be having sex with because she's engaged to someone else and Joanna is either like at home or out and about with the little kid Tyler and I feel like in the TV show they do spend a lot more time together as a family and have more relationship moments when they're all together which are just completely absent in the book. It feels like almost like you're reading a book about three women who just happen to live in the same town. They are related and yet they spend no time together. Something else that's different is that the restriction is apparently a direct result of them being accused of witchcraft and then Freya and Ingrid being executed in the Salem witch trials. Uh, now in the TV series they do talk about how every time Freya and Ingrid die they are instantly like reborn through their mother as children again. Uh, and that this has happened a number of times but uh, in this it seems that they died at the Salem witch trials then were reborn again and have sort of been around since then but unable to practice magic because of how they were revealed at the Salem witch trials and this then starts to repeat itself in the modern narrative because obviously because of the love potion and the knots all of this stuff gets kicked up again and people start accusing them of witchcraft. I didn't find this incredibly believable. Uh, I did buy that people in the community would turn against them because that's what people in the community tend to do but they get investigated by the police and like the police just interrogate them and make it seem like they definitely believe in witchcraft and that they were responsible which just seems insane because I feel like as a policeman you're not really allowed to do that kind of thing and also like a prosecutor would definitely just laugh this out of court if you were like this woman killed someone with witchcraft it just sounds mad and yeah everyone in the book just seems to buy that they are going to end up going to jail unless they can like pull a hail mary and just manage to defend themselves which uh in the end the court case never comes to anything and just seems like a waste of time i also found that the description of what they are and aren't allowed to do based on the restriction varied a lot and didn't seem to be a concrete rule for example at the beginning it's like they're not allowed to practice magic and I was like cool I can get on board with that that's definitely a firm rule but then Joanna says that she's allowed to use magic to hide the fact that she's immortal and doesn't age and also sometimes randomly becomes young again to obviously give birth to her children it it wouldn't be great if people notice that which I can kind of get behind I was like oh, okay so she's allowed to practice magic in those specific circumstances uh, but then on page 197 uh, basically Ingrid and Freya go through a secret Narnia-esque tunnel in the back of a wardrobe which leads from Long Island to Freya's old apartment in New York City and uh, she says God, I've missed this place. I used one of her old spells to redecorate, meaning Joanna. I figured the restrictions only applied to new magic. And that seemed really confusing. So she redecorated either with a spell that Joanna had already maybe created and was already held inside an object, although she doesn't say that, or with a spell that Joanna had already just made up and they knew so they could use. So Apparently they can use every spell they already knew, so how is that not being able to practice magic? That was just really confusing to me. The book also features vampires who are referred to as the fallen ones and seem to be like fallen angels but they are now vampires because they are on earth 
which is confusing. And I think this is because um, Melissa Dela Cruz wrote before the, the Witches of the East series, the Blue Bloods series, which is a young adult series about like vampire socialites in New York, I think. And uh, this was like her first series, the Witcher series for adults. But she brought in characters from that previous series for her YA readers who had now like grown up which is all fine and dandy and definitely something I'd appreciate if I was one of those readers. But it just felt kind of weird because as a new reader to this series, you're already trying to piece together all this stuff about like Norse mythology and stuff and what the witches are talking about when they obliquely refer to like past events or past reincarnations and all this other stuff without having to try and wrap your head around the fact that there are like fallen angel vampires who are around uh, they do visit. Uh, apparently, I think they're meant to be characters that we know from the original books, if, if you've read those. But they visit basically to ask Ingrid some advice. And then they're seen later again in New York. They don't really have anything to do with the main plot. It just kind of feels like a, a cameo or an effort to tie the timeline of this book in with the timelines of the Blue Blood series. But um, they're in there. It's It's just kind of like a widening of the mythos. And it always makes me kind of cranky when... They're like, okay, I'm going to write a book where witches are real, but then instantly introduce things like vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. It's like, witches should be enough. <laughs> I don't also need this to be a vampire thing. Because when there's like a vampire thing, like True Blood and Twilight and things like that, they don't automatically include witches. So it kind of grates my nugs when someone is like, when there's already something that is very scarce, which is like witches in fiction. Uh, solely in fiction and then they introduce all this other stuff and it just kind of dilutes it for me and then I have to read stuff about vampires which I don't really care about and uh, I kind of get disgruntled at being lumped in with like oh well you like witches so you must like vampires too and it's like not really uh, but that's just a personal me thing and not really something that I'm going to mark the book down for what I am going to mark it down for is that out of the like 300 pages that it is it is only 272 pages long. So it's, it's 272 pages and yet it waits until 238 to introduce basically all of the backstory that makes the book make sense. Um, so it starts off in chapter 41, The Poison Tree. And basically this is when a lot of stuff suddenly gets processed. It's stuff that the characters have known about for the majority of the book but haven't really thought about at all. For example, Ingrid has discovered that on the blueprints for Fairhaven, the gardener's ancestral mansion, um, there's these strange markings and symbols that she's been trying to have deciphered. And so she sent them to her dad. And he never got back to her because I guess he'd gone somewhere else. But then she has to try and crack it for herself. And that's when all of the backstory comes out about the mansion about how it's over a gate into Idrisil, the world tree, and how there's basically the source of all the evil toxin stuff in the water is because someone has used the tree as a sort of portal from one realm to another and has brought the poison out of it into the world. And then they get into the fact that Bran and Killian are actually Balder and Loki from Norse mythology and that Loki was imprisoned for breaking the Bifrost and how he's escaped through the tree, and how he's like posing as someone in the human world, and all this other stuff gets dumped on you in like the last 40 pages of the book, and they have to try and explain it all, and it just kind of falls flat because it's a massive info dump. 
fact, chapter 42 is literally just a potted history of what happened, what the witches are, how they ended up in Midgard or Midworld, and the history of Freya and how she was like a suitor for both Balder and Loki, and the bridge being destroyed and their brother being implicated in its destruction, and that's why he's not with them. All this other stuff is just dumped in this one chapter. And I felt like it would have been better to maybe drip feed this through the book as opposed to just saving it all up at the end. Because there is kind of a mysterious reveal at the end, which will not be a surprise to you if you have seen the TV show, but I'm going to spoil a warm for it here. Essentially, in these like few pages, like this 40 page chunk at the end, Ingrid realises that Loki has escaped through Idrisil and that's what's causing all of the problems in East End and so she instantly fingers Gillian as being Loki but in human form and then within a couple of pages uh, during a confrontation with Freya it becomes incredibly clear that Bran her fiance who she's been cheating on a lot with Killian is actually Loki and that he's been using magic to make him to make her trust him to make her fall in love with him and that Killian is actually Balder which is why you know she had to cheat on her fiance with him because they're soulmates and um, then there's like a confrontation uh, which leaves Killian wounded and then they have to go and confront Bran slash Loki and send him back through the tree so that the poison will get sucked back into the tree and, and East End will be okay again. And then even after all that, in the like final chapter, just before the epilogue, they have to go back and explain what happened and how all of the magic seemed to go wrong, even though Ingrid and Frey were certain that their magic didn't work in a specific way. So, for example, like the love potion, which is meant to protect people, um, they have to like explain who actually killed that girl and why and how that guy ended up being hanged and who was behind it all and all of this other stuff is just dumped in at the end of the book and it just feels a little bit rushed especially because to be quite frank the first 75% of the book nothing really happens that much there, there are some interesting bits involving like a guy who's been brought back from the dead who's like slowly losing his mind which is pretty cool but because there's so little interaction between the three main characters the book kind of floats along at this very slow pace and it's only at the end that you get this big reveal and all the exciting stuff happens which feels like you've kind of wasted your time on the first 75 percent of the book now having said all that i did still quite like it i did think that the asgard mythos and everything is definitely handled better in the book than it was in the tv series where it just kind of came out of nowhere and the explanation of the the bridge being broken and uh, people being at fault for it and them not being able to see their brother that makes a lot more sense than a sort of failed coup against the king and um, that made a lot more sense I do wish that the characters would have spent a bit more time together and like talking to each other because it kind of felt like especially Joanna was just obsessed with becoming a pseudo parent for this little boy and didn't have any time for her like existent children which felt very weird and also I liked that a lot of the kind of like little dramery things that they add in obviously in the TV series to make each episode worth watching on its own um, were missing from this and that left more time for the, the inclusion of elements that would lead towards the bigger mystery at the end. I just wish that that mystery had been handled a little bit better. So I do actually really like this book and uh, would recommend it to people who like the series or people who thought the series sounded interesting but didn't have the, the wherewithal to wade through two seasons of tv instead of just reading a book 
Although I do feel like the book is poorer without Aunt Wendy, because she remains my uh, my favourite character. One thing I will say, if you plan to get into the series, and which I wasn't aware of before I just started reading the second book, is that between book one, which is of East End, and book two, Serpent's Kiss, events happen in the plot which are not included in the first novel or in the second novel. I actually had to look it up and make sure I hadn't missed like a novella or something, because sometimes if something like that happens, usually when you're reading like ebooks only, um, there's like a, a book 1.5 or something, which is basically a novella or a short story which expands the world and things are included in that that wouldn't otherwise be in the book series. But no, there is no such book. It is literally just book one. Everything's all happy at the end. Freya is reunited with Killian because they know who each other is now. Everything's fine and dandy. And then you start reading book two and it's like, here is a potted history of everything that happened in book one in case you'd forgotten. Oh, but also their brother managed to escape from wherever he was put for his involvement in the Bifrost destruction. And also he said that Killian was responsible for it. So now we're suspicious of Killian again, even though in the first book he was kind of the hero by the end. When you start the second book, he's back in the villain seat. And also their brother is now on the scene because nothing says continuity like just beaming in a new character between books with no explanation. That's really annoying. And if you and if you plan to get into the series and that sounds like it would annoy you, bear that in mind. It annoyed me. And now I have to, you know, press on with that book even after that major annoyance. So stay tuned for that review. In the meantime, I will see you in the next episode. Let me know if you have any other books similar to this that you'd like me to take a look at. You can do so in the usual ways, Twitter or via Gmail or via the YouTube comments or comments on this episode, wherever you are listening to it, except iTunes, because I don't have an account there and probably will never see it. In the meantime, I'll see you in the next one.